buried beneath the rubble of time are stories of God's sovereign hand moving in our great nation. Many believers, hopeless, frustrated, and confused, have all but given up on America. But we have faced dark times before, and by divine providence, overcome. From our studio on Capitol Hill, I'm your host, Joe Kirby, with Pastor Mike Creed and Andrew Friedenstein. What does a train, a newly finished Capitol building, and a riot have to do with the founding of the Red Cross? Take a moment with us to look back and find hope from history. Well, the Civil War was ramping up. Abraham Lincoln's first job, of course, was to defend the Capitol, Washington, D.C., So he begins to bring troops down from Massachusetts on train, fastest way to move troops. And so they're coming through the major hub in the region, which is Baltimore. And then from Baltimore, they'll come to uh, Washington, D.C., where they'll start setting up some defenses. for The the problem was that Maryland was filled with Southern sympathizers. Yes. And they were mad, and they were rioting, and there were difficulties when this train pulls into Baltimore. Absolutely. And most people consider uh, Maryland a northern state, but it's not true. As a Marylander now, we are south of the Mason-Dixon line. So we are a southern state. Um, But you're exactly right. We are full of southern sympathizers. Abraham Lincoln was not popular. The county that we live in, Prince George's County, only a few people voted for him for president in the entire county. Just a handful of people. So he's not popular. Train pulls in. And the people start to riot. Now we're not talking like, oh, you know, we don't like you. We're mad. We're talking bottles and uh, fire and gunshots at these soldiers as they come into the city. And their original plan was to stop for a little bit there and realize, well, this is not going to work. We're, we got to keep moving. So they go through Baltimore quickly. Um, and as they're kind of assessing what happened, they realize they have a lot of injuries on the train and they're trying to deal with these uh, injuries, but you're on a train, you're moving. It's not smooth like the trains we think nowadays. And they did not have medical, you know, people in every cart, uh, train car there. And, and so they come up into DC. They was like, yay, here comes the troops to, uh, you know, help fortify the city. And they all come piling out and carrying the wounded people. Probably an hour's ride from Baltimore. Yes. Yeah, not too, not too long. But this had to have been shocking for the people because this is actually the first blood of the Civil War right here. So these troops are supposed to come ready to, yeah, defend the Capitol, but they're coming in injured. Nothing's been set up. Um, they're completely unprepared for Civil War in general, but definitely to deal with these troops that are injured and dozens and dozens of them. And there's nowhere to stick them. Someone comes up, yeah, hey, we just fig- finished a uh, big building we could stick them in, the Capitol building. And so they start taking all these wounded soldiers and start laying them out in the Capitol building, which is good. Now we can work on them, but um, who's going to work on them? Where's the doctors? Where's the nurses? They're not ready for this. And there is a clerk from the patent office, this, a young lady, who heard about this. And she said, you know what, I need to do something about this. So she heads over to the Capitol building and starts uh, doing, you know, basic first aid to these soldiers, giving them some comfort, 
and trying to make them comfortable and, and water and clean some wounds, things like that, some basic things. Uh, but she was surprised when she goes over there and she realized she knew some of these soldiers. She had actually taught them uh, in Massachusetts. She was a teacher and she had taught some of these soldiers and knew of other ones by reputation. And that young lady is Clara Barton, the founder of the Red Cross. And this is kind of where it starts, right here in the Capitol building. Clerk in the patent office, she just sees a need, and she's like, you know what? I can do something about this. Uh, You can say it started there, and I, I believe that's true. But really, in her heart, it started back when she was a teenager, mm. when her brother was severely ill, and and uh, she was able to help her brother uh, through his illness and nursed him to health. Yet, uh, after that, she moved into teaching children. They said she was really shy, but she began to be a teacher and, and teach children and, and then uh, moved on uh, to Washington, and now she finds herself right in the middle of this. And it was just kind of a, a natural thing for her to do, just to step in and start treating these people. Right. And one of the things I think is interesting is you read through Claire Barton's story. As you said, she's shy, but this lady has got some steel in her. She is tough. Uh, she was the real, uh, uh, she was the first female to get a substantial clerkship position, if you will, in the government. And... Um, she had it, then she got fired, basically because of uh, uh, her political views under a different president, then came back and worked under Lincoln. Um, but uh, she was tough, and she actually got equal pay for the work, the same position. Back then, you could have, you know, if a man was doing the this job and a woman was going to do the same exact job, she would get a cut in pay, but she would not accept that. So if I'm doing the same exact job, I expect the same exact pay, which is only fair. And so... Uh, she was shy, but she was tough. And so after the Capitol building situation, she realized we're not prepared for this war at all. I mean, we didn't have bandages. You know, uh, the doctors weren't ready, the nurses. It's just we weren't ready for this. And so she stops um, being a clerk and basically works into being full-time where she is just uh, writing articles and paper, petitioning people to send bandages and um, other first aid equipment, what we would call first aid equipment, to the Capitol. And they would ship them to her, and her apartment turns into basically this warehouse for first aid supplies that she is handing out, and other people are helping her. And then uh, some people with some real wealth get involved, and they start you know, manufacturing, producing this stuff, and giving it to her, and she starts distributing. Eventually, she ends up on the battlefield. Yes. Helping people that are wounded, and literally from battle to battle, and you can name some of the battles, but uh, she became known as the angel of the battlefield because she would go in and bind these uh, folks up and and nurse them just like she nursed at the Capitol, just like she did uh, the nursing with her brother. She just carried it on to the battlefields. Yeah, and she wasn't afraid to get in on the action. One of the more uh, um, terrifying experiences she had um, was she was tending a man, and actually someone shot at her. The bullet tore through her sleeve, did not hit her, but killed the man that she was tending to. Wow. And so um, 
at least I assume she was terrified. I would have been terrified. Um, but uh, she didn't stop with that, though. I mean, she almost died just a few inches here. Uh, she would have died, but she kept on. Well, even after the war, she made it her personal mission to locate missing soldiers and would testify to Congress. And really, she had a heart for these men who nobody was caring for to the level that she was and she felt like there wasn't the care wasn't good enough and wanted it to be better and follow it up. She didn't just say something. She didn't just see something. Right. She didn't just say something. She actually followed through and did something about it. Uh, he, she she located missing soldiers and marked graves as well of uh, mm-hmm. folks that had died on the battlefields. Uh, when you look at the Bible, honestly, when you look at the Bible in this situation and understanding this story and just the testimony of this lady, we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, even the spiritual, the well-to-do, you know, the up-and-coming, they would come and they'd look at, boy, you really look bad, and they pass by on the other side. The spiritual ones, supposed, supposed spiritual leaders of that day, but then that Samaritan came, and uh, he went far beyond where he should have gone. He he uh, picked this man up and carried him to a place and, and treated his wounds and, and then paid and said, if if uh, you need any more money for his stay, I'll come back and I'll take care of it. And uh, went far beyond. And that's really what we ought to get out of this story is understanding that uh, we have opportunities all the time uh, that God allows us to have that we must come to a place that we go further than, uh, than really our human intellect will take us moving uh, on behalf of others to see them benefit. She definitely stepped up when it mattered most. She maybe wasn't the most qualified. She wasn't a doctor, but she saw a need and had a passion to help people. And it made a tremendous impact and difference, not just in the Civil War time, but obviously continues today as the Red Cross continues to help people and meet needs at that, at that point that they needed. May we have that same type of uh, compassion that moves us to make a difference. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to listen each week and find hope from history. Learn more on our website, wakeamericaonline.org. Subscribe, share, consider partnering with us in prayer.